1: Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace, you can't get to excellence without it. Now here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth.
0: Hi, hi everyone, this is Gwendolyn, welcome to The Visual Workplace. I am your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence, our intelligence, the intelligence of our operational system into the landscape of work. We do it through visual devices. We do it through visual information sharing. How do we install the language of our current level of operational excellence? Even if we're not quite as, as excellent as we wish we would be or as we're going to be, how do we install that level of our current understanding into the living landscape of work, into the work environment, into the floor, into the furniture, into the tools, the machinery, into the living dynamic landscape of work? Because when we make that level of concrete very specific information reside through visual devices and mini systems and maxi systems, macro systems. We literally see how we think and we trigger behavior that is aligned with that current understanding. We function because the workplace functions. And because we have captured that through our visual devices. And why do we do it? Why do we bother? Well I tell you, you get tremendous bottom line benefits. You get improved safety, greatly improved quality, more aligned delivery, shrinking costs, whether you're in a hospital, an open pit mine, a retail store, a dry cleaner's, or automotive manufacturing. And you get splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and an engaged workforce on all levels from CEO to supervisor, from operator to engineer, and we enjoy ourselves at work. We come to work and we think. We come to work and we learn. We come to work and we flow. Hmm? Because the enterprise becomes increasingly conscious, fluid and self-aware, we become, because we made it so, we become increasingly conscious, fluid and self-aware. You know, this is an evolution. This is a revolution. I've been doing this for 30 years, and i tell you, it is the cat and the meow. It is the cat and the meow, and it's fun. It's fun because you can flow through your work, and the obstructions, the thing that we call struggle, begins to evaporate. That's the purpose of visuality. 15 to 30% increase in throughput. We'll be talking about that soon. So welcome, welcome, welcome to our show, which today is called How to Become a Brilliant Visual Workplace Trainer. And I have a couple of important but quick announcements, and then we'll jump in. First, I wanted to tell you there's only 10 days left for you to register for our three visual workplace events in Regina, Canada, that's in Saskatchewan, and um It begins on Monday, September the 15th. We're doing visual leadership. The next day, we're doing my flagship seminar, Visual Workplace Visual Thinking. And the third day, we are doing uh, a visual site assessment, which is quite a protocol. We're following a formula, a formula I've developed. It's got about three iterations, and we are going to help the site that we're going to brand engineered products. And we might be at Brand Tractors. I'm not sure which of the actual Facilities we're going to, and we will assess them. And in doing so, you will learn how to assess your own environment. We will leave Brandt with a um, host of findings and coming out of those findings recommendations, and I will show you the technology for doing it. I love doing this, and it's always such a benefit for the people who are learning to do it and also for the host plant. We are happy to do that if you want to do a public seminar wherever you are, whether or not that's in Norway or in China or in India, we are happy to set that up for you. You do the marketing, you bring the people in, we split it with you, and we do this good work, and we leave a great legacy of learning when we do leave. So maybe you're thinking we've been invited to China, we think we're going in February, we're going to do this, and uh, people will learn and people will change because of all those great benefits I was describing at the beginning. And I also now, so that's the first announcement, the second announcement, do you know, on September 20th, in a few short days, my little radio show, The Visual Workplace, will be entering its third year broadcast, and we are still getting 60, 70,000 people listening in every month. They will download our podcasts or listen in to our show. So we thought and thought and thought, what should we do differently to celebrate? this wonderful listenership, and the wonderful work we're discussing. And as part of that, we read through your emails, we reread them, and you know what? You've asked us to set up a way for you to be able to call in, a call-in show. So we're going to do that. And that means I have to stop talking so much. That means that I have to leave room for people to ask questions. But I think we have to set that up so this is what we're thinking that we will do, I will do a show on some juicy content, training visuality the way I am probably for the next couple of shows, but hear me out. Traditional versus my visual 5S, what's the difference and how do you do it? Implementation issues, how to deal with champions that do and champions that don't. What about supervisors? What about using visual leadership, Hoshin? So we'll do a show on some juicy content, and then we'll do... The next show, as a Q and A and a comment show, for you to call up and you say, "Oh, I know that. In fact, I'll do you one better. I know this. Or what did you mean by this? Or how do apply this? How do I apply this principle that you mentioned to what I'm doing? I've got this kind of hornet's nest to deal with. Oh, I want to promote that. I can't tell you how much I want to hear your voice." I hear mine all the time. Hear your voice, hear your questions, hear what your situation is. This is what I've always wanted. And I I don't just invite you, I urge you to please participate in this. We will prime the pump and get things started, but it can only catch on, it can only catch on if you send if you call in your questions or you email them to us. I've asked Heidi, who is our special projects manager, to man the phones for that so that if you call in or if you email, we'll see it. If you call in, you'll go right to the studio. And by the way, the call-in line, and you can call in today, why not, is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. Matt is there in the studio, and he's chopping at the bit to welcome your calls and for us to get a conversation going. Or you can email us at... Radio at visualworkplace.com. Radio at visualworkplace.com. So that'll work out really nicely. The next show I do, not today, but next week will be our first call-in show. The following week, I will finish up or I will do the next chunk of how to become a brilliant visual workplace trainer. Okay? And... We'll just go back and forth like that until this catches on. I'm not going to give up on this because I think it's important. I really think it's important that we start to have a conversation, not just an imaginary one in my head. (laughs) Okay? And you don't have to wait until next week. You can call today. So let's begin today. Today we are talking about trainers and the training process focused on training visual workplace methodologies. There are lots of components for getting rambunctious and fabulous results from visuality, and one of the core components is to be a great trainer. But this is not exactly what you think it is, and it is also what you think it is. If you're already training, you'll know that many of the things that I'm saying are true for you too, okay? So here are the prepositions, the propositions. Number one, are there natural born visual workplace trainers well, I think there are natural appetites that make you a great trainer. I'll talk about that in a moment. Is training visuality so very different from training other topics like Lean or Six Sigma? And I say you bet there is. There is a big, big difference, and I'll tell you why. How much is a trainer responsible for people's learning and for their implementation results? Well, in visuality, the trainer is the first line of defense, inspiration, excitement, application that begets those results. And we're talking about a 30, 15 to 30% increase in throughput. Those are handsome results. If you are currently lean, lean you will already have gotten 80% of that, 80% of. Fantastic results. There's going to be another 20% left. What would happen if you got 30 or 40% of that addressed through visuality? Mm -hmm. Can you stand to even get better at what you're good at? Another proposition. What are the tricks? What are the golden secrets? And what are some of the common training mistakes? We will start to address this during this show and in the subsequent one. And make no mistake. Successfully training workplace visuality will build your bottom line results and strengthen employee engagement. So later, and also today we actually are going to be treating the importance of the training room space itself. And over the course of this series, we're going to talk about giving and receiving trainer trainer feedback, continuity in teaching, why it's important, and also what do I mean, we're going to talk about when we re- what happens when we rely too heavily on people's creativity and also the central role that supplies play, having supplies at hand play in your visual workplace results. We will touch again upon something you've heard me talk about a lot, standardizing too soon. We will talk about doing your homework, another common theme, but you cannot hear too much about that, Because your success is dependent on it. And also training effectively across multiple shifts. You know, I spoke to a company just last week. One of their plants trains across two shifts and they were challenged. But another one trains across four shifts, 24-7, 10-hour days, very, very staggered. And in visuality, you're changing the same physical environment, the same real estate. What do you do? How do you build ownership when nobody owns anything? Well, there are ways to do this. And boy, do I want your questions on this. There are ways to do this. Find your trainer. Make sure he listens to this show. She listens to this show on podcasts. And also make sure that they follow this. Because these are the secrets of the Death Star. You know, this is the blueprint. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've made all of your mistakes times 10 and I've figured out other ways that are still congruent with a very deep set of values that speak to the heart, but also values that speak to the bottom line, to the, to the pocketbook. So, we're going to be going into a break for a moment. I'm just going to kind of set up the next sequence and say to you that training visuality is different. In general, I say generally... That when we train, we always inspire first, always. But then we must also inform. So we lift the spirit, we open the spirit, we make people ready for learning, and then we give them great content. And what happens as the result of inspiring and then informing is that we get transformation. Transformation happens. You know, visuality triggers impressive bottom line benefits but you've got to train it right because if you don't, you won't get those benefits. It becomes part of your business model. If you are training it and you're bored or if you're training it and you haven't dug in, you haven't done your homework, you don't know how to develop the eye for three examples, those are three examples, you won't get the benefit. So, I don't want you to experience training visuality as a failure. That's what this series, this particular series is about, is to give you everything that I learned to make you a great trainer. If you're already a good one, you're going to be a great one. If you're already a great one, you'll be able to teach others. And if you're already bored out of your mind training because your training is boring, you'll make a decision of whether or not to get better or to find something else to do. You know, not everybody has to be a great trainer. Some other, some folks are great not training. Just because your, your, your boss has asked you to do it doesn't mean that you're great at it. And if you don't want to become great, you need to admit that to yourself. You go to your boss and you say, you know, boss, this is not my cup of tea. First of all, I don't even like people. And I think that visuality is just plain silly. <laughs> Tell them. He'll still give you a job. He'll give you an A-plus for being honest, and then they will give you some really hard work to do. So we're going into our break, and I will see you in a moment. I can hardly wait. Thank you.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. business owners do you run your business or does your business run you put yourself on the road to success by tuning in to success unchained with hosts anthony and julie McLoyne. At last, discover how to overcome your biggest challenges, take control of your business, and achieve the results you've always dreamed of. Find out how with our resident master business coach and world-class guest experts. Transform the nine key areas of your business and unchain your true potential. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galser. Welcome back to the second part of our show today at the Visual Workplace. We're talking about how to become a brilliant Visual Workplace trainer. And in the first segment, we were just kind of setting up our propositions about what we're going to be covering. But remember that I also mentioned that we are beginning a call-in show so by all means, as you listen to this and you say, well, that's not me. Oh, well, that's not me. Well, that's not me. You please then call in and you say, what are you going to do about me? This is what I am. This is what I'm facing. This is my little road to hoe. And I could use some help. Or maybe you'll say, this is the way I I solved it. Right? I'd love that. I'd love it. But what we're going to do now is we're going to kind of I'm going to put some more fundamental things in place, and then we're going to go into a direction that may surprise you a little bit. Let me get you there. So one of the things that I was saying about being a great visual workplace trainer is that you're, you're going to have to love this stuff. You are going to have to fall in love with the paradigm, with the spirit and the expression of the visual workplace. You've heard me say it many, many times. We are by birth visual beings. That's why we live in a visual world. And it is not the other way around. We are not visual beings because our world is visual. We have as a people and as humanity, as we move up into a more structural, more infrastructure-driven Environment, you know, more commercial, if you will, more developed. We have created formulations of information sharing that enable us to handle the vast diversity of humanity, of different minds, different hearts, and yet in society, people have to follow a a predictable pathway. They have to cross the street. They have to use the infrastructure uniformly. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this when Mariana over there has a sick baby and uh, my cat threw up in my shoe this morning as I went out to work? How are we going to do this when I'm thinking about changing my job or when um, the house needs a painting or when I'm looking for an apartment? All kinds of different things, different pressures are impacting me as a human being. And yet, I need to use this world. And so we made the world easy. We made it seamlessly easy for us as visual beings to utilize. We made it visual. We made it a world of our senses. And we are a sight-dominant planet right now. Very, very few parts of the world actually use the senses the other senses as aggressively as we use sight. In those other places, smell is used, sound is used, much more importantly than sight. When people are closer to the earth, sight is the least important. When people are um, under attack of the elements, sight is only of equal importance as sound and feeling, the kinetic feel against our skin. But in societies that have um, manufactured infrastructures, we've become sight-dominant. And certainly with the onslaught, if I may say so, the onslaught of the computer, we've become sight-dominant. And so we call it the visual workplace. We call it a visual world. And we call ourselves visual beings. But we're really sensory beings. And we constructed a world that we can understand through our senses sight-dominant. That means that we can pull information, vital information, for our safety and for also the process of our day. We pull that information because we put that information in place. Maybe we didn't do it. Maybe the civil engineers did it. The aeronautic engineers who designed the fields, the landing fields for our uh, big airplanes, the airports, they've designed it to be predictable, uniform, knowable, and we bring that into our workplace because when we do not have a visual landscape that is constantly talking to us on the many, many levels that we need to perceive and that we need to, have, to be in touch with so we can feel not just physical safety but psychological safety, when we don't bring that into our workplace, when the workplace is bereft of those signs... Of those indicators and controls and signals and guarantees, we feel at risk because we are at risk and the better part of ourselves cannot come up. The better part of ourselves is set to the background because we've got survival issues. So... We are visual beings, therefore we live in a visual world and not the other way around. But what we want to become, and the purpose of this show, of course, is that we become also visual thinkers, that we understand the nature of the phenomenon, of the scenario. When the information is missing, we understand the nature of information deficits. We understand it because we notice, pardon me, we notice our motion, we, mo- we notice that we're moving without working, and we know that there is an information deficit. We become visual thinkers, and we know that we can get rid of the motion and the information deficits that cause that motion simply by putting visual solutions in place. That is the definition of a visual thinker, a person who knows how to do that. And I want to emphasize doing that means across all organizational levels, We are very well acquainted with that on the operator level. And we are pretty acquainted with that on the machine level, the maintenance level. But it is also on the supervisory level. And I'm not just talking about supervisor standard work, not by a long shot. That is one tiny component of it. It's important, but it's not that important. The reason that people get so excited about supervisor standard work is that I think they've kind of left their supervisors on their own to figure out what their work is and how to keep lists about that work. I mean, it's important contribution that David Mann uh, makes. I saw him when I was in England presenting at a conference that I was presenting at. It's an important contribution, but it is just a slice of the spectrum. And I know that he respects visuality. I'd like him to know how far he can go. So on all organizations, and that's including the, including the executives and the engineers and the supply chain and the quality people, we want to become visual thinkers so that our workplace is alive with consciousness, with information, with design, with intent. And the Institute, the Visual Lean Institute, which is uh, our educational arm over here at Visual Thinking, Inc., offers nine methodologies in that. That's how serious we take of it. Taken, So you need to understand what falling in love with visual is, that very first element, falling in love, because you understand that that world is your world, and you want to share it. Because when you start sharing visuality and you're teaching it, well, the way I like to describe it is you crawl into those pictures and you teach it from the inside out. You show a picture of an airport and a runway, or you show, show a picture of a red apron, and, boy, you are intent upon that others understand it. And not only that they understand it, but they love it. <laughs> they better love it, because if they don't love it, we're going to make you love it. <laughs> you know that. You know what that feeling is like. This is good for you. Can you see how fabulous it is? So you, when you become a great visual teacher, you really own the thinking. It becomes your thinking. You own the teaching. You own the event. You own the results because you want to be responsible because this is the cat and the meow. And I always know that I've succeeded with a trainer or an outside consultant. When they start telling me things they think I don't know, And they say, hey, you know what you were talking about, motion? Well, you know what I discovered? That motion is really about interruptions. Oh, yeah, really? Oh, how interesting. Tell me more. And I want people. That's how I know I've succeeded, that people think that they have actually discovered the paradigm and that they're there to teach me more. Oh, goody, because I'm willing to learn, but I'm also willing to enjoy, to be thrilled, by that amount of ownership. And that's what I mean by falling in love. So when you teach visual, you are walking people through the methodologies, but you are also firing their imagination through the examples and through the delicious process of helping them see their world anew because that's the world that you saw. And understanding that when information is expressed through visual devices. You, you can see it, and when it is missing, it is invisible. And you share that as well. Let's talk about visual devices when they are there. Now let me remove let me, them. Photoshop them away. What do you see here? You see a scene that is full of information deficits, full of mistakes, full of accidents waiting to happen. And then you bring it back. See what happens when the information is there? When the information is being shared through our senses visually? The world suddenly becomes a place that you are qualified to understand. A world that triggers positive, progressive behaviors. And when it's not there, you get deficit behaviors. You get struggle and irritation and mistakes and accidents and misfortune. So doing this becomes your glory and your pleasure, and you teach from that vantage point. Training is always a form of cultivation, and in visuality you are cultivating the spirit of expression, the spirit of knowledge that is inside of people. So let's take a break right now. I have a few more things to say, and then I'll get to that thing that may surprise you as an unusual starting point, But I have found it to be very important. I'll see you in just a moment. Thank you.
1: The Business Community's First Choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Hi, hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome to the third segment of our show today at the Visual Workplace. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and did you hear that nice man give the telephone number? I know that you're going to memorize that because I know you're going to call in all the time. 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, whoopee, oh goody. <laughs> so we were talking just before the break, we were talking about how to become a brilliant visual workplace trainer, and we were talking about training as a form of cultivation. You're cultivating the cognitive awareness, you're cu- cultivating the brain power of the people you are with, And you are also cultivating their intuitive understanding of visuality because they are also visual beings. And it is part of your purpose to cultivate that intuitive awareness so that people become visual thinkers and you're going to do that by teaching principles of visuality, showing lots of examples, crawling into the picture, teaching it from the inside out, showing people the principles that govern this device and that, to tell the difference, to tell the difference by merely by looking and you're also going to cultivate the use of motion as a lever so people begin to be scientists of their own process. They begin to notice their motion, which is an endless, endless exploration because we first will see our gross motion where there are gross information deficits like where things are. But as we clear those away, if we continue to be scientists of that process using motion as a lever, we will then begin to see the more minute forms of motion and redefine what work is and also what motion is. That becomes so interesting. I've mentioned that on many, many of my shows. But what you're also cultivating is the I, the individual. And I've really become much, much clearer about this over the last year or two. You know already what I have learned. I've spoken about this, that when we give people a language, a new language through which they can express themselves, they grow. They grow because they can grow. They grow in expression. They grow in their own identification, their own definition of who they are. They grow in identity. This happens to operators. This happens to supervisors. It happens to executives. It happens to engineers, for heaven's sakes. They come up. This is what so, may I say, without you throwing something at me for being overblown, that this is the magic and the mystery of workplace visuality. But as I look at it, because magic and mystery doesn't go down well in any workplace, they just think that I'm being airy fairy, is that what I talk about is the cultivation of the eye, of the expression that people begin to express themselves and that that is a pathway to individual growth of course it makes tremendous contribution to the organization to the corporation the enterprise the workplace you know i want to read to you a poem i actually have two of them i love them equally one of them was uh in is in my Book, Visual Workplace, Visual Thinking. It's a wonderful poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins, who is a priest, a Jesuit priest in Ireland. And he, was, he had magic language. But he talks about this need we have for expression. But more than that, he talks about expression as being reason enough to be alive and stay alive, to express oneself. And he does that through a poem called as Kingfishers Catch Fire. This is about the fourth time that I've read it in the last three years. Forgive me, I love this poem enough to share it with you yet again. And he says, and this should be read in a great Yorkshire or Irish accent, so you get the the beauty of the sound itself. But here I am, an American from Brooklyn. As Kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumble... Over, rim, in roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tuck string tells, each hung bell's bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being, indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks in spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. Crying, what I do is me for that I came. This is an extraordinary poem about the need to express. We simply need to express. And when we can combine work, which is standardized work, uniform work, predictable design protocols with the opportunity to express ourselves in ways that are innovative, and very satisfying, but yet are triggered by principles and that protocol, we have the best of both worlds. We have this wildness of expression and this tremendous business benefit. We are making a contribution by simply being ourselves. That is the responsibility of the trainer. Trainers, that is your mandate Get the business benefit and your vehicle is the this internal landscape, this rich landscape of people on the inside. Can you see? This is a very high calling to which many, many trainers, from, from which many, many trainers have gotten a great deal of satisfaction. And I will tell you, visuality is the vehicle for this better than anything I've seen. I know That you love yours, well, I love mine. (laughs) I'm going to read the second poem towards the end of our time today. It's that one from Pablo Neruda. Only I can't uh, read it in the original Spanish, although maybe I'll try to do that the next time. What I want to move to now is as you think about these lofty issues, I'm going to begin with a protocol rather demanding one that couldn't be more ordinary and couldn't be more what's a good word prosaic more more ordinary i think that's a perfectly good word and that um that hang on i'm trying to get my screen a little bit bigger i've got this gorgeous new mic called a yeti mic in front of me and i have to be able to see with my glasses. What I want to talk about is creating a physical space for great learning. And I emphasized this in our first show because I have seen so many people underestimate it and just throw people in a room at a table and, and they'll be pushed up against the wall with too many chairs in the room, too much table space in the room, and they expect people to learn. Well, you know what? Where I learn is very important. If it can also be spacious and beautiful, so much the better. But if it can't be beautiful, it can be spacious. And that means that you may have to organize your training space just for your class because other people using that space will do it a different way. And maybe they don't, they aren't as sensitive to the learning vibration or environment as you are. And they don't value the learning space as much as you do. But I certainly hope to make the case now. And I have what is what are called eight keys. I am very happy to send you these eight keys. Just send me an email. Heidi will get them out to you. Our pleasure. And this is written. I'm pretty much going to follow the language that's on the page. Because you know what? I wrote it. It's good. So the importance of the location where you train cannot be overestimated. We mean the room size, the disposition, meaning the layout, the furnishings, and the ambiance, how it feels on the inside. That matters a great deal to your participants, but also to you, and certainly to the success of your initiative. Right now, we're talking about visual workplace. So here are the eight eight key things. First of all, the training room has to be large enough. When given a choice, make sure that you select the room when given a choice that is spacious spacious, that at least provides a sense of spaciousness. Said another way, you gotta really avoid a cramped and crowded room. The training room must be large enough. And if it isn't large enough and you have um you have no other choice, then make sure that your group size fits the room. Instead of stuffing it full with people. Because I tell you. It's going to get overheated. It's going to feel nasty inside. Because you're pushing up against people. There are going to be too many chairs. The ceiling height matters. Even those large rooms will feel close and confining. If the ceiling is too low. 10 to 15 foot ceilings are preferable. You may be stuck with 8. Well you're going to have to compensate for other things. Here's. That's so key number one, make sure the room is large enough. Key number two, get rid of the clutter. Visuality always begins with getting rid of the clutter and making it clean because you can't make anything visual unless it, it can stick. So make sure the room contains only the things you require for an effective training of your event. And here I'm talking about actual furnishings, the furniture, the extra tables, the stacks upon stacks of unused chairs, the old computers, the stray desks, the piles of paper, anything that will work against an effective learning environment. And by the way, as mentioned, the very principles and practices that you are supposed to be teaching, we move the clutter. You may do it only for your session and have to return the whole thing afterwards. Well, build in the time to do it, it's worth it. And maybe some other folks will catch on that the physical environment really does matter to us humans. Get number three, get the right equipment in place. Your Training Room Essentials. Now, I have my own list, and, and this is exactly what I use. We send this to our clients in a slightly different format. If you want the two formats, ask us. One is a kind of set it up this, this way, but what I'm kind of going through with you now is making a point about the importance of these keys, whereas if a client asks us in, then we kind of um, just tell them what we need, and they, Heidi works with them so here 's a list of training room essentials: a computer and a really good LCD projector. We ask for a minimum of thirty two hundred lumens because we want the color to be bright. We want the machine to be new. You can get new machines for four or five hundred dollars if you 're doing a real rollout of visual, invest in this. The color's bright and clear. Excellent color balance. The reds have to be there. The yellows, the greens have to be there. There can't be too much blue because you'll lose the yellow. Because one of the things that you want, because we're talking about brain chemistry, is you want the humans who are watching these pictures to get the physical, chemical impact of the picture. You will not ever be able to trace the level of learning that goes on. When you're using great examples, because the examples do the teaching instead of you. The great examples hold the principles. You are there to articulate the principles and to point out how the device works and what's clever about it. And if you're lucky enough, what was the next iteration? And if you're lucky enough, what was the before? But so much of that teaching is simply done by the quality of the image itself. Yes, we spend a lot of time Photoshopping our images. We want to clear out the extraneous um, noise, the noise that's in the picture. We want to make sure the visual device is prominently uh, uh, discernible. You can see it. So your projector will be an extension of that. And make sure you have a great screen, built in or a pedestal. I hope it's on the right wall. There are so many of these screens that are put on the long end of the wall. And so you have this kind of tunnel of people. But what we like the best for a layout is a crescent shape so that people are sitting at tables. They have a place for their books. They're sitting at tables so they can talk to each other if we ask them to, but also they have a sense of spaciousness and a flow as compared to lining them up theater style one after another as though everyone is watching a movie and they're going to sit there and go into a trance. But no, you need people to learn to interact. So we have this crescent-shaped uh, layout Again, we'll send them to you. Send us something at Radio at Visual Workplace. Say, send everything related to today's show. We'll send it to you. We're happy to. Just give us a few days because uh, Heidi's kind of it, got it organized, got to get it organized, and she's got a very, very heavy desk. Okay? So if you don't have a good white screen, please don't use those silver screens. You don't get the high contrast of white white and a uh, color. Then use a white sheet. Make sure to iron it. Make sure that it's tautly tacked in place. Or maybe the wall itself is smooth enough, and maybe your maintenance will paint it a nice white, not a shiny white, just a plain old, uh, what do you call it, matte white, or very, very light beige. But as soon as you get into brownie beige, you start losing the contrast. It really does make a difference in the energy in the room. So we'll we'll continue with our list and I'm pretty sure we'll finish this list today. Please come back. Be back. I'll be here. Thanks.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's toll free, 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Welcome back. Welcome back to the fourth and final segment of our show today which is on how to be a brilliant visual workplace trainer. And it may surprise you that I'm spending this time to talk about the physical layout. The physical layout, the learning environment. We talked about a number of things today. Some of them were pretty high-flown, universal concepts about learning, about brain chemistry, a few things. But now I'm down into the nitty-gritty of make sure the training room is right. Make sure you get rid of the junk in there so that people can feel like, you know, you made an effort to create an environment that was right for them. We often look for ways of how do we operationalize the principle of respect for people? Well, this is one of the first ways. If you really want to operationalize that, it doesn't begin with empowerment. It means make the training room fit for humans. Get rid of the clutter make sure there's a sense of flow reduce your your uh, group size if you are in a cramped space we've often used cafeterias we, we will but it's difficult if we have to we have to match our lunch time with the lunch time of when people come and go that's okay except if you have a 24/7 and people come and go all the time but you need spaciousness you have to have the right equipment i'm talking about that now you get rid of the clutter show sure. so respect yeah you're going to teach respect, show it. So we're talking about the computer great uh, 3,200 lumens level for your LCD projector. You have a great screen, white, clear, preferably on the, um, on the wide part of the wall. Have a table up front so you can put your projector there. You can turn it the long way. Sometimes if uh, the room is very, very narrow, we put it on someone else's table right in the middle There'll be only two or three people can sit at the table. You know, make sure that the chairs are facing the screen. Unbelievably, I've gone into training rooms that have been set up for me in advance. And, and, you know, there's a chair at each end that's facing away from the screen. What are you thinking? (laughs) And you want to have a table for supplies because you're going to have stuff. Put it off to the side. And I always use two flip charts. Never an A-frame. They wiggle all over the place. They have to have four feet. Okay? And I want to have paper on there. And, you know, I don't like the 3M sticky paper. They're very difficult for the trainer to flip the sheets when you're illustrating things and you're moving things back and forth, going back to a a flip chart um, uh, discussion that you had earlier in the morning. Those things stick. They're great for exercises but they're not great up front for the instructor. I love them with grids for exercises. Grids are not that important for me up front, although sometimes I do other kinds of grids, which I'll tell you about next week or 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 the one after for drawing. So I don't like the three memo pads up front, but I always have two flip charts and they stand side by side and i make sure to use them i want my i want the people i'm training to get used to drawing things and i want them to come up front and stand strong with show me what that looks like i'm not getting what you're saying show me what that looks like also in terms of magic markers make sure they're fresh and make sure they have a blunt end not a bullet point the the lines will be too narrow and make sure they're dark red cannot be seen at a distance Certainly, you know, yellow and orange can't, but red is not an emphasis color. You'll have to find something else, maybe a bright blue or a bright purple, but red is nearly invisible at five or six feet. Okay? So that's your equipment stuff. That's all key number three, get the right equipment. Key number four, the training room you're going to think I'm silly to say this. The trading room has to have good air. <laughs> to function well, we need air, and we need saturated air. The level of air is only like around 20%. And I think I read somewhere that we can get around away with 11% saturated with ex- oxygen. We don't need 100% oxygen. We would all be flying high and making funny noises. But the, saturated, the saturation point... Needs to be high enough. In factories where there's airborne coolants and solvents and particulates, and usually a good deal of dust, you need to have good air. Air conditioning units, you have to be careful of the noise, you know. But it, if you've got some windows, you open the windows, and you, I'll be talking about this, although I don't think I'll get to it this week, about you open the windows, but then you darken the windows with cardboard or black plastic bags or whatever because you need to see that screen from that beautiful 32 lumens uh, LCD projector. So good air, please. We open, the, the, we open them during the breaks if it's chilly out so that the air gets clean, cleaned out, but we do do it. We send people outside if we can to get fresh air. The oxygen is life. There's nothing we need more, not even water. And by the way, we put water on the table. And the training room has to be quiet. Noise and sound are not the same thing. We define noise as any sound that does not originate in the training room as part of the instruction or in response to the instruction. When the training room is full of noise, people will have to strain to hear you. They'll have to strain to hear each other. And as a result... The training will suffer and therefore your successful, your vision of a successful implementation will suffer. People can't learn. Okay, so look, I'm at the end. Matt is giving me the signal. I'm at the end. I know I have three more to go through. We'll do a little bit of this at the beginning of the next time, but the next time is a call-in show. I want to hear from you. I am full of solutions, full of them. There's nothing I'd rather do. And I will also save the poem. Aren't you lucky? I'll save the poem for the next time as well because I know when I've said enough. I'm developing this sense in my dotage. I've had a wonderful time talking to you today. I'm so excited about starting our third year together. I want to make it different enough for you to stick around for a fourth year. I want this to serve your purposes. Please let me know what they are. Thank you very much, and thank you, Matt, for all your good help. Thank you, Sandra for inviting me to be on this show, to make this show in the first place. Thank you, Voice America. Goodbye, everyone. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off.
1: We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.